Well, um, I've been going through a kind of a difficult season of my life uh, over the past little bit. Um, it started about a year ago. Um, actually, it started before that. Uh, maybe about four or five years ago, uh, I fell in love. Um, but it's kind of complicated because I, I fell in love with a, a technology company. Um, now, it's not just any technology company. In fact, they realize how powerful their draw is on humans. They, their symbol is actually the same piece of fruit that's been tempting humans ever since the garden. Um, uh, just when I thought I couldn't love her anymore, she created the most amazing technological device the world has ever seen. Um, it can do anything you want it to do and fits in the palm of your hand. Um, I had this dream that if, if I could just get my hands on this device, it would transform my whole life. And so I, after a while of being tempted and going to this store and playing with it and touching it and <laughs> loving it, uh, I, I finally, I, I broke down and I, I bought a used one. And uh, um, so while I'm going to talk to you a little more about that a little bit later, but the... One of the things about, I realized about me as a human um, and growing up in our, our culture that we do is uh, sometimes we have these ideas that if we just get the right thing, if we just get the right thing, something outside of us will change and transform us. And we're going to talk a little about that today. But the other thing about me that's sort of weird, or maybe it's not, maybe you guys are similar, is... Um, I have this, these sort of dreams about my life and the way things should be. Um, it looks a lot like the Apple Store. I mean, that's pretty much my dream. Everything could be shaped like that and it would be good. But um, now I, grew up in, I grew up in church and I've been in church almost my whole life. And it was only a couple of years ago that, uh, that I understood what this term, the kingdom of God, meant. Um, see, it's... I guess to sum it up, I'd say that it's not just humans that have dreams. God has a dream. Um, he has a dream about the way that he would want the world to be. Um, and that, in essence, is the kingdom. The, how, what is God's dream for our world? What is God's dream for my life? And sometimes I'm saddened by the distance between my life or my dream for my life and God's dream for my life. And uh, we're going to chat about that because it's not just us that have this challenge. In fact, um, the people in Jesus' day, and one of the main things that Jesus had to talk to the people of Israel about, um, he had to remind them of God's dream, which is weird because they saw themselves as God's people, and yet they had, they had forgotten about God's dream. Um, well, let's look at a couple. We're going to talk about the mustard seed today. And I think we have a slide there, the mustard seed kingdom. Um, wouldn't a brat look so good just planted right in the middle of that right there? Some onions. A veggie brat. Either way, I'm, I'm okay. I can go either way. Um, well, it's not, just, it's not just the disciples. Actually, if you rewind even further, and we're going to look at some verses out of the prophets. The prophets are the section in the middle of the Bible that you, we hardly ever read because it's really weird. 
Um, but there's going to be a couple things that we're going to look in there. And what I'd like you to do is if you, and we haven't read it yet, but some of you might know of a parable of the mustard seed. I want you to look at some of these verses from Daniel and from Ezekiel and see if you see anything in there that might have to do with the mustard seed. Okay, let's, uh, let's read these. Uh, while I was lying in my bed, this is Daniel writing this. This is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. Ever heard anything like that before? About something reaching high into the heavens for the whole world to see? Certain tower? Well, it had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, hmm, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Now, pretty strong language, but Daniel was living in um, the greatest empire of the world at that time, Babylon. Um, see, as human beings, we love to build things tall and majestic. We love for the whole world. I mean, it's not just Babylon, but all the time we get this language about something being the most majestic thing on the earth where the birds can nest in the branches. And, um, all right, let's look at Ezekiel and see if we can see anything else here. Uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take a branch from the top of a tall cedar and I will plant it on the top of Israel's highest mountain. It will become a majestic cedar, sending forth its branches and producing seed. Birds of every sort will nest in it, finding shelter in the shade of its branches. And all the trees will know that it is I, the Lord, who cuts the tall tree down and makes the short tree grow tall. It is I who makes the green tree wither and gives the dead tree new life. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do what I said. You see, all the time when Jesus came teaching parables, he wasn't starting from scratch. Um, he almost always was taking a story or this idea that the Jewish people had and taking their expectations that they thought the kingdom of God was that way and he would just spin it and go, nope, it's that way. The disciples and lots of folks expected that Jesus was going to bring a kingdom that was swift and magnificent. Um, and it's not just the disciples that are like that. I'm like that. I want God to come and change my life with one swift and magnificent motion. Um, after all, I'm American, and we Americans love cheap crap quick. That's, that's like our whole society. Um, yeah. Um, but God is different than that. He, he's not a drive through worker at McDonald's. Um, I don't know if you knew that. Huh. Um, See, it's not just the disciples that forget the story. I, I forget the story. I think if I just get to the right service, if I just hear the right message, I'm, my whole life is going to transform. Um, I want instant and magnificent change in my, in my marriage. I don't want to have to work for it. 
I just want it to change. I just want my kids to behave. Uh, yeah, I don't have very high expectations. I just want them to behave. That's all. I don't. After that, I don't care. Um, I, I want to hear from God, but I just want him to talk to me like a human. I don't want to have to work for that. Um, but see, God's different than that. Uh, even if you think about the story that we call the Bible that reveals to us in, in a very small sliver. Um, the, yeah, the Bible's not this information book that describes everything about God. You can't. You can't describe everything about God. It gives us a small sliver into this amazing and mysterious and beautiful being called God. But the pictures that we get of him are interesting. One of the very first pictures that we get is he creates this planet, and on this planet, he plants a garden. And he puts two human beings in there. And he says, let's work together in this garden. You plant the seeds, and you tend the garden, and I'll make sure the sun comes up, and I'll make sure the rain falls. Well, let's do this together. And you know, ever since that moment, God has been inviting humans to garden his dream together. The humans blow it. They, um, they go to the Apple store, so to speak. And, uh, um, and it gets so bad that pretty soon God looks down from heaven at humans and almost the only thing he sees is humans hating and killing each other. Um, it, and like a doctor, he sort of looks at the x-rays of the human race and sees there's so much cancer, there's only one way to save the human race, and it's chemotherapy. And he does radiation on the planet, killing a lot of life, and he tells Noah to make this boat that's going to be a seed to start over. It's not going to be 100 elephants, just two, because two's what you need to start over. Two's the seed. Enough elephants and giraffes and lions and humans. This little seed floating on the water that God's going to replant the creation. He's got a dream, and he's not going to quit on it. Then there's this guy, Abraham, and he takes Abraham out and says, look at the stars and look at the shore. I'm going to make your descendant. You're going to be a nation that's made up of more than the stars. We follow the people and we find them in slavery in Egypt and we think that for sure the dream is over. I'm sure they did. God, you said you were going to make us into a great nation and we're a nation of slave people. And God, with a magnificent act, rescues them from that and then he starts the work of being a parent. He takes this little baby child people, these slaves, and he's going to teach them how not to be slaves anymore but how to be his own special children. And he says he's going to bless them, but not for their own sake, not bless them just to bless them. He's going to bless them so that they can bless the entire world, because that's what he promised Abraham in the beginning. And yet they still get it wrong, so much so that by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, he can hardly recognize his people. They've gotten God's dreams so wrong that he can't even speak to them directly about it. You know what he has to do? He has to tell parables. He has to tell a parallel story that would adjust the compass in their head. You thought the kingdom was that way. Mm, it's this way. You thought the kingdom was like this big cedar tree with these huge branches where eagles and birds found there. But I cut that down, and I took the small one and replanted it. Um, so, 
not only is God wanting to partner with human beings in gardening, that's not just something for Adam and Eve. You see, I, I sort of look at my life like a garden, my spiritual life especially. There's weeds growing in that garden. Um, and the only way to get them out is to slowly go row by row and one at a time pull them out. And there's seeds that have to get planted in this garden. But I can't make it grow. I can't make the sun come up or I can't make the rain happen. I'm not looking for a conference or a service or a message or a CD or something out there to transform me. Every day is like this invitation for me. God comes down and says, do you want to work on the garden together today? Um, and every day I slowly get to choose yes or no about that. Okay, with some of that in mind, let's actually take a look at the part of the Bible we're going to be looking at today. I think we've been looking at Luke for 15 years, so of course we're going to be right back there. I think Greg got, I think he did three messages on the same passage, so I'm going to try to, try to help push us a little forward. Um, so here we are, Luke chapter 13. Um, Jesus cracks me up. Then Jesus said, I love when he asks these kind of questions. It's like, what is the kingdom of God like? Hmm, he's the only one who knows. How can I illustrate it? We don't know, you tell us. Uh, he says, it's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree. And the birds make nests in its branches. He also asks, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put in only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, there's a couple things. When I think about mustard, I normally think about the part where Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And that's typical for, I think, especially me, because mountain moving sounds fun and exciting. Um, we're not going to talk about that today. Um, when I think of mustard, the other thing I think about is I think about bratwurst, Italian sausages, or turkey sandwiches, or at Wrigley Field with a Chicago hot dog watching the best team on the planet play baseball. I'll take questions about that later at the hub, okay? Um, so, but what's hard for us then sometimes is we look at these stories that Jesus taught, and there's a couple things we have to remember. One, Jesus uh, is Jewish. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, prophet, and teacher sent to the Jewish people to tell them that they've forgotten what it meant to be Jewish. Um, so of course he's going to use stories that may seem strange to us, because I'm Irish. Jesus was Irish. He'd tell stories about beer and fighting. Um, but that would be a different Jesus. Um, so he's telling these Jewish stories. So when a Jewish group of people hear him tell a story about mustard, what would they think about? Well, a couple of things. Um, in that area of the Mediterranean, mustard that we're familiar with doesn't grow there. The kind of mustard that they would understand would be black mustard. And black mustard is like a weed. Um, it'd be like Jesus telling a story. Now, I don't know if this happens in your neighborhood. In my neighborhood, there's definitely a lawn contest going on, and no one talks about it, and there's no rules. I don't know where you sign up for it, but it's happening. Um, and I'm losing. <laughs> so uh, so it'd, be like, uh, you know, it'd be like the Scots guy coming through your neighborhood saying, it's like a man who planted dandelions in his grass. And you'd say, no one ever does that. Because in a garden, you don't plant black mustard, because black mustard will take over the whole garden. Um, 
In fact, it was illegal for Jewish people, according to Jewish traditional law, it was illegal to plant mustard. It was considered unclean in the garden. And even when he talks about the leaven, what's the one, the very last thing that all Jewish families do before they celebrate the Passover? They sweep every bit of leaven out of their house because they think God hates it. So Jesus takes this story and says, no, you thought the kingdom was like a cedar tree with big majestic eagles. The kingdom is like a little weed that no matter how much you try to kill it, you'll never get rid of it. And if you forward just a few years from that, we find this guy named Saul of Tarsus. He later becomes Paul, but when we meet Saul, he's going door to door, knocking on doors, finding Christians, imprisoning them and killing them and wasting his time because he can't kill it. The more he kills it, the more it keeps growing. Now, other thing about a mustard seed is um, if you compare this big cedar, I mean, what kind of birds make their home in a huge, tall cedar tree? Great, awesome birds, um, eagles or hawks, birds that were majestic for Jewish people. Uh, but a mustard seed that's just a little shrub, the kind of birds that are in that garden are unwanted. Now, that's hard for me to think of because I sort of live in the city and any bird that can sing a tune is wanted to me. So I was trying to think about how could I help us understand this. There is one kind of bird that none of us wants around. Um, the other night, uh, it was Tuesday night, and it's the middle of the night, about 3.30 in the morning, and my daughter, Glory, my middle girl, comes into our room. Now, my kids, I'm sure none of your kids are like this, but my kids have these wild imaginations at night, and they turn into liars. So there's things in their room, there's things alive, they can't sleep, they got... Uh, so my job is just to send them back to bed. I do what every good father does. So my daughter comes into my room, and she says, Dad, there's a, there's a black moth flying around in my room. And I go, no, there's not. Go to bed. That's what love means in our household. <laughs> so she goes back in her room, and uh, she comes back in. This time, she figures she's going to get nowhere with me, so she goes to my wife's side of the bed. Um, and mom, there's a black moth. So my wife gets up and goes in the room. And I do what every loving husband does. I roll over and go back to sleep. She's going to take care of it. So my wife comes back into the room, and I look on her face, and all the blood that was in her face has disappeared. And uh, her hands are shaking. Um, like they haven't shaken since she gave childbirth. That's her sort of, I'm going to freak out and die uh, look. Um, and I say, honey, what's wrong? And she goes, there's a bat in Glory's room. So I do what every loving husband does. Uh, I tell her to put Glory in the boys' room and shut the door. I'll take care of it in the morning. <laughs> that, that goes over for about four minutes. Um, so finally, I sort of feel bad enough for my wife, who's like weeping at this point, trembling in the bed, and uh, I get girded up for battle. I put my jeans on and my sweatshirt, because um, all I can see is this bat with its two vampire thing, just right on my neck, sucking the blood. I go out to the garage and get the tennis racket, and uh, I put my fighting gloves on, the potholder, hot gloves, and uh, I pull the, the uh, laundry basket over my head for protection. And I go in and, you know, take care of business. We get the bat out of the house. And see, that's the, I don't want a bat in my house ever, ever, ever. Um, a Jewish person doesn't want a mustard seed in his well-planted garden ever, ever, ever. And human beings in general don't really want God's kingdom in our world ever, ever, ever. But Jesus says, no, this 
this mustard is going to take over this whole garden. Now, mustard was powerful. It was used. It was used for some flavoring, but mostly it was used for healing. They would um, sort of like, you know, when you get bronchitis or something or your kids, they have like a chest cold, you put Vicks vapor rub and it's really powerful. Well, mustard was a lot like that. But the interesting thing about mustard is um, there's only one way that mustard could be used for healing and for flavoring. Only one thing you can do to mustard to make that happen. You have to crush it. Now, anytime Jesus tells parables in the scriptures, we need to understand that for the most part, Jesus always is the parable. The parable is about him. Um, He's the pearl that's worth selling everything for to buy that one thing that you found. He's the one who's sweeping out the house looking for that coin. He's the yeast that's working through the whole dough. He's the mustard seed. He's the mustard seed. They're the undesirable birds. Those 12 disciples that he's pulled around him, they're the birds that no one else wants in the garden. Jesus actually said a lot about seeds. In fact, it was kind of a theme in his teaching. Um, In uh, John, let's turn over to John chapter 12, verse 24, and, uh, and he says more about seeds. Look at what he says. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel or a seed of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, new seeds, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Who's the kernel? Jesus is. But he's got to be planted in the soil and die. But his death will produce many new what? Many new seeds that will also have to go on the ground and die. He tells Peter towards the end of his ministry, he said, Peter, one day someone is going to come and lead you where you would rather not go. Disciples one time are bickering about who could be first, and he says, do you think that you could drink from the same cup that I'm going to drink of, the cup of suffering? And he promises them that they would. See, I don't think it's any, um, I don't think it's like crazy to think that every one of the disciples, almost every one of them died a similar kind of death that Jesus did. They would too have the privilege of sharing in the suffering that brings healing and broken, or healing to broken humans. Even he gathers them around together and shows them about his meal, communion, and we take that sometimes around here. Um, he looks at disciples and he takes bread and he he breaks it in half. Who's the bread? He is. This is my body broken for you. Then he takes the cup full of blood. Who's the cup? He is. This is the cup of a new covenant in my blood. My suffering is going to bring life to other people. And then he looks at me and says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, when I think about that, I grew up thinking that what that meant is every time we took communion, we should watch like the passion of the Christ and remember the things that he did so we would appreciate him for that. And I think that's a part of it. But imagine that I I went to the doctor. I have three children. Um, 13, 8, and 6. Imagine I went to the doctor and they said, man, you have a really advanced form of cancer. You got a couple weeks to live. And I was getting to the end of my time where I felt like I could still be coherent and talk with them. And I pulled my children around my bed, one of the last times I was going to talk to them. And I looked at my kids and I said, remember me. 
Now, I might be saying, remember the fun times that we had together, but I think that what I would be saying is, don't forget my life, what I was about. In a world full of people that go that way, I tried to, in small ways, teach you to go that way. This is our broken human society and the way humans live. This is the way of Jesus. Please go that way. Remember that I wanted you to go that way. And the early church got together and took communion every morning. It was the meal that reminded them that in the same way that Jesus was broken, it's the same calling for us. We're supposed to be broken for other people. Um, now, I have a, uh, my youngest son is six years old, and I have a friend who, uh, he's probably in this room right now. We have two children that are very, our two youngest boys are very similar ages and very similar personalities. Um, I struggle to figure out how to describe my son to people, and then once he described his to me, he told me that his son is the terrorist in the family. And uh, so I've sort of picked that up too. My son is the terrorist in our family. Wherever there's peace, he wants to ruin that for action. He loves action. Um, so he's got this funny thing that he does. Now, I think everyone in every, everyone's houses, you have certain things that when you run out of those, it's a crisis. I don't know what that is for you. Milk, eggs, toilet paper, I'm not sure. Um, for us, those things don't really matter that much. If we run out of Oreo cookies, that's a crisis. Um, <laughs> So my son knows exactly where the Oreos are. We tried to put them on a shelf that he couldn't reach, but then he just climbed the thing. And he's got this, so he'll be climbed up in the shelf with his hand in the Oreo container, and you'll, you'll walk in the room, and he knows he's not supposed to be doing this. Now, most normal children will stop. My son's not normal. Um, my son has this idea that if he locks eyes with you and is staring at your eyes, you can't see this. It's the funniest thing. It's like, he figures if he's got your eyes and you can't see what he's doing, then what's happening isn't real. Um, now, uh, now, my wife, a few weeks ago, she rented this movie that we've been talking about watching. Some of you may have seen it. It's called Hotel Rwanda. And uh, for three weeks, it sat on top of the DVD player. Because uh, every time it's movie time, she goes, do you want to watch Hotel Rwanda? I go, no. When does anyone ever want to watch Hotel Rwanda? Um, because if I watch Hotel Rwanda and I see it, then it's going to be real. Um, if I can just not see the suffering of the world, I can pretend it's not real. And the struggle is, is we, we as humans do this. One of the struggles that we have as Christians that live in a developed country like we do is the suffering that, that's happening in massive amounts around the world, we actually have to choose to look at it. Because if we don't see it, we can pretend it's not there. But this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Now, we're not alone in this. This is the way of the empire. In every empire, in its wake, sort of like a boat, in the wake of every empire is a massive wake of injustice and human suffering. Now, the job of the empire is if people on the ship ever turned around and looked in the wake and saw the suffering, they might want to slow the ship down. But that's the one thing the empire can't have. We've got to keep moving this direction. So we just tell people to stop paying attention to the wake. 
Jesus in his empire that he lived in. He was, he was the only one, the only human that could look at the injustice and suffering of the city of Jerusalem and see it. No one else could see it. And because he saw it, he was the only one who could grieve it. We get this picture of Jesus up on this hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace. And he sees what's happening there. And what does he do? He cries because he's the only person capable to cry. He's the only person that can feel the grief. Because he's the only person who doesn't have some stake in that system. I think he calls us to a similar thing. I think the reason the scriptures talk about coming out of Babylon or not living in the ways of the kingdom is we as people who follow Jesus, we can't have any stake in the system. Because if we don't have a stake in the system, then we can look at the world and see what's really happening and grieve for those who either can't grieve or won't grieve. So I guess the question for me is, if Jesus emptied himself so that he could carry the tears and the pain of the world, what am I supposed to do about that? I consider myself a follower of Jesus, and yet that pathway is a path I don't want to walk. I like the loving part. I like the miracle part. I like the healing part. The prayer part's okay. <laughs> um, but that suffering part? What parts of my life have to die and be crushed so first I can be healed of it and second, I can try to bring healing to people around me or people in my world? What, what part of the suffering of the world is Jesus asking me to carry? Now, let's not forget, Jesus a little further in Luke, and I think Greg's going to talk about this probably more brilliantly than I would. Um, he looks at his disciples and says, unless any man, if any person comes after me, if any person wants to call themselves a Christian, the one thing that they have to do is to take up their own cross and follow me on the road that I'm going to show them. So for me, Seth McCoy and St. Paul, what, what cross am I carrying? Or is this just a, a wooden object I look at when I sing songs? What am I going to have to die to? What part of the world's suffering is God calling and asking me to carry? Because they can't carry it. Now, sometimes we get this idea that when we talk about suffering, I'm not talking about suffering or beating yourself to death to make God love you. You are already loved. And the human that we saw this in uh, miraculously is Jesus, fully secure of the fact the Father loved him, so he was fully able to carry the world's pain when the world couldn't. How can we as a community give each other the courage. That's what the word encourage means. The word encourage doesn't mean to say nice things to each other. It means to give each other the courage that it takes to walk the narrow road that leads to Jesus. How can we encourage each other, give each other courage to die to the things inside of ourselves? 
so that we can grieve the world's pain. Psychologists say that the number one problem in the United States, actually um, the number one psychological problem, ungrieved grief. We've gotten to the point we can't even cry anymore. It's like our, our emotional nerves are just dead. How can we grieve our own grief so that we can carry the suffering of the world? I know this is hard to think about. I don't know any other way to talk about this. I don't know if I was ever going to, if someone was going to ask me, describe Jesus and what he did. There'd be lots of things involved there, but the cross is such a huge part of it. Communion and him suffering and being broken, that's such a big part of it that I can't call myself a Christian unless I can find a similar pattern of me willingly suffering for other people. I want you to take a look at a video. A person who's challenged me the most in this. Um, I'm sure probably most people have heard of her. Her name is Mother Teresa. And she made her life about going to the poorest of the poor. Um, she, she made her life about carrying a cross of suffering and sharing that suffering um, with the people who are in it. Um, why don't you take a look at this video? Now, there's a couple things. I want to ask you a question when we come out of this video, uh, or actually while you're watching it. I want to know in this video where you see Jesus. Okay? All right, let's watch this. Mother Teresa saw Jesus in the child and said, that is Jesus in his most distressing disguise. It was after all him who said, when you, um, when you came and visited me when I was in prison, when you, you clothed me when I was naked, you gave me water when I was thirsty, you fed me when I was hungry. I don't know about you, but... Um, It's like, 
I don't want to see that, and yet I have to. Because unless I see it, then I can't grieve it. And unless I grieve it, I, I won't be willing to do anything about it. So, sort of like Moses' mother, I took my little, my little baby phone that I loved. I put her in a little basket called Craigslist, and I sent her up the river to somebody else. And uh, it was no heroic kingdom act. Um, but it was Mother Teresa who said, there's no great act. God's not asking you for a great act. He's not asking any of us to solve the poverty crisis in the world. He's asking us for small acts done with great love. That's all there is. It's not a cedar kingdom. It's a little mustard kingdom. And the promise is one day in this jacked up life of mine, the mustard seed's going to take over my whole garden. And one day my neighborhood full of violence and shooting and one day the mustard seed's going to take over that whole neighborhood. And the continent of Africa, I don't even know how it's possible, but somehow the mustard seed kingdom is going to take over that whole garden. Um, but until that does... The only way that it happens is one seed at a time. One person willing to go into the ground and die for the sake of another. If you're in small groups or covenant groups or a family or I don't know what people you have in your life that encourage you to follow Jesus. But I'd love for you to spend some time praying, thinking this week and asking yourself, what do I need to empty myself of What's clouding up my life, filling it with other things? What do I need to move away from so that I can follow Jesus down the road of carrying a cross and do it in the way that he did, full of love, joyfully? One other thing I guess I would say is if you're like me, I constantly look at my spiritual life and I'm just frustrated by it. I just wish it was faster. I wish I was changing faster. I guess I'd say, if you're anything like me, be, be patient. Every morning wake up and say, I'm going to garden together with God on the garden that is my life. And maybe tomorrow doesn't feel that much different than today, but I'm going to keep pulling up weeds and I'm going to keep trying to plant seeds. And God's going to make the sunshine, and God's going to bring the rain. And I'm going to find other people who will help me garden. There are no great acts, just small ones, full of the great love of a great example in Jesus. Jesus, every time I look at something that you taught about, I'm amazed in new ways. Lord, I pray that our response out of today and even off of that video, Jesus, isn't to move into depression, 
But I do pray it's to move into emotion. God, help us to see the world, to see the pain of the world in the way that you do and to grieve over it the way that you do so that we can joyfully find healing and carry our cross to those places. Give us the courage. Surround us with the people. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're going to return and your mustard seed is going to take over not just my life, my neighborhood, my planet. You're going to mend the entire universe, stars and the planets. Your dream will come true. God, give me the courage to live and fight and die for your dream, not mine. Mine's not worth it. Amen. I think there's going to be people here to pray with you if you'd like to do that afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. Peace be with you, friends.